Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15, starting in verse 12. This is Jesus speaking in verse 12. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Jesus just said, I'm commanding you to love each other the way that I loved you. Now, maybe you just glazed over that a few times after you read it in the past, but we're, gonna, we're really going to focus on what that means today. How is it possible that I can love you the way my God loves me? Because I don't know if you know, but in this season, we're celebrating the birth of our Savior. And like Brother Graham said this morning, his birth preceded. the. He had to be born into this world and brought into this world so that he could die on a cross for you and I. And the Bible says he did that for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I want you to know right now that nobody loves you like God loves you. I said nobody loves you like the one who created you, the one who formed you in your mother's womb, the one that's thinking about you all of the time. God loves you. And God in the flesh looked at his disciples and said, I want you to love each other the way that I love you. I don't think you get it yet. Verse 13, he says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. According to the dictionary, the word obsess means to dominate or preoccupy the thoughts, feelings, or desires of a person. To think about something unceasingly or persistently. In other words, when you have an obsession, that thing that you obsess over is the only thing that's on your mind. An obsession is a powerful thing, and oftentimes we think of it with a bad connotation because we think, oh, that person is too preoccupied with other things. They, they're on a one-track mind. An obsession is something that plagues many people for many different reasons. We got some sports fans in the house tonight or today. There's some people that get obsessed with sports. I don't know if that ever happens in the great state of Alabama. But sometimes you know those people. That's all they can talk about. And don't feel bad. If, I, if you feel like this fits you, I'm not preaching against sports today. But there's some people that get obsessed with it. They eat, sleep. And they breathe sports facts. I remember as a teenager, I was a huge Atlanta Braves fan. And there, I didn't miss a game. It was when it, back when it used to be on TBS, America's team. 
And you could ask me at any given point what anybody's batting average was, and I could tell you exactly what it was. I could tell you all the stats. I was obsessed with it. People get obsessed with money, power, and fame, sometimes separately, but oftentimes these are bundled together. A lot of times because of that obsession with money, power, and fame, it drives someone to be obsessed in their job or their career. They have to be at work before everybody else. And long after everybody else is gone, they're still there. They miss birthdays. They miss the kids' practices. They miss everything that's going on outside of work because they need more money, more power, or more fame. We call them workaholics. Anybody know somebody? Don't raise your hand. There are some people that are called adrenaline junkies where they are obsessed with finding the next extreme sport or dangerous activity that drives them to the edge of death so that they can feel that rush of adrenaline running through their veins. They want to be scared to death. I don't know about you, but as I get older, I'm less and less inclined to be scared to death. There wasn't nothing you could, you, could, you could say, hey, I'll give you $5 if you do this when I was 15, and I'd do it. But now as I've gotten older, as I know that I've got kids to take care of, there's less and less things. Uh, when I get on my motorcycle, I got on a full body armor. If I fell off that thing, I would just spin around like a turtle on my back. I'm always trying to be careful. But there are some people that even into their old age, they're still trying to jump more cliffs or, or go uh, try to find something, jump out of an air, a perfectly good airplane just so that they can feel that rush of adrenaline. That is an obsession. Some people get obsessed with politics. I mean, knows a few of those people. It seems to be the only thing they can talk about. You look at their Facebook timeline, it's the only thing they can write about. And every conversation that you have gets steered in that direction. And they will protest, rant, or rave, if you, and even riot, or is it, is it, can we use the word riot, if their political point of view is ever confronted. A lot of people get obsessed with their physical appearance or their fitness. I'm not one of them. I used to be, not on purpose, but while I was in the Marine Corps, it was my job to stay in shape. And when I got out of the Marines, I, I hung that hat up. I, that was, I'm done. No more will I get up in the morning and run six miles because somebody's not yelling at me telling me to do it. <clears throat> but there's people that get obsessed with it. That's all they can think about. I got to add one more thing to my diet or my routine or I got to go to the gym. I can't miss the gym. I'll miss everything else, but I can't miss my gym session. One particularly strong obsession that plagues a lot of people on this earth is when someone gets addicted to drugs. The drug addict looking for their next high. And if you've ever been addicted to any substance, then you probably know just how strong this obsession can be. As soon as the addict comes down from their high, they're ready to go back up. And when the drugs run out, every dime will be spent to obtain more. And when the money runs out, the addict will use any means necessary to get more drugs or more money so they can get more drugs. And nothing is off the table. They'll steal from their own family. It doesn't matter because they got to have it. They're obsessed with it. They got to have it. I'm going somewhere with this. Just hold on. Some of us, we've got an obsession that probably a lot of us in here 
know about, that smartphone that we can't seem to put down. I mean, it's hard to put down. I'm not preaching against it. I'm not, trust me, I, some of y'all are getting nervous like, man, he's about to tell us we can't. No, no, no. I, what I'm trying to draw you a picture of is the power of an obsession. When something becomes the only thing on your mind, when something is driving you to think about nothing else but that thing. In the year 2014, it was said that 77% of Americans said they owned at least one smartphone, and 46% of those respondents said they couldn't live without it. Can you imagine saying that you can't live without it? Some of us are a little bit older. We remember a time when we didn't have this. And we did live perfectly fine without it. In fact, I think we lived better without it. But today, people are so obsessed. And even within the smartphone, there's an obsession within an obsession of social media. In the year 2017, a study found that young adults spend on average five-plus hours a day using their smartphones. And in their lifetime... A young person today will spend five years and four months on social media. That's right. Five and a half years of your life looking at timelines, liking posts, looking at pictures. That, my friend, is an obsession. And I'm not preaching against any of these things. I'm not telling you to quit going to the gym or put away your smartphone. I'm just trying to draw you a picture of the power of an obsession. The power that something has on you when it becomes the only thing that you want to think about. And when you understand what I'm talking about, when I talk about an obsession, I want to then compare that to the way that God loves you. Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, an obsessed fisherman that also all they want to do is go fishing, he's going to hang up his rod and reel, and he's going to think about something else from time to time. That gym rat eventually in life might find some other interest, and they'll think about something else from time to time. Lord willing, that drug addict can go into recovery, and they can put their mind on something else from time to time. And as powerful as every one of these obsessions are that I've talked about today, we still have a limit within our human mind that we cannot focus on one thing or one person forever and ever and ever. We have limits. But I want to come today to talk to you about the love of God. And the love of God is not like my love. The love of God is not like when I get fixated on something, when I get compelled to something, when something draws me into it, there are limits associated with that. But God loves you. And I know that you know that. And I know that you've sang songs about God's love since you were knee-high to a grasshopper. But I came today to tell you in a way that maybe you have never heard before how big God's love is for you. It's stronger than any of the obsessions that I've laid out for you today. Because you see, at the end of the day, any obsession that you could have is only going to be for a time and for a season. At the end of the day, you're going to think about something else. And I don't care how involved you get with any one person, even if it's a spouse, at, from time to time, you're going to have your thoughts on something else. Because our brains, our hearts are not capable of being fixated on something for eternity. A sports fan is going to turn their attention to something else from time to time. But God's mind 
is always on you. I say God's mind is always on you. You say, how do you know that, Brother Jones? Well, let me just go to Scripture. The psalmist said in Psalm chapter 8, verse 3 through 4, he said, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? Who am I that God is mindful of me? You look at everything that God has created, and if that doesn't make you stop and say, who am I? That my God is mindful of me. And that word mindful there, when you look it up and you study what it really means, in the original text, it means that his mind is full of thoughts about you and you and you and you. I know when you look at his glorious creation and everything that he's made, the splendor and the marvel of all the things that God has done, you would think that he would stop from time to time and say, well, look at my stars. Look at the skies and the heavens that I made. But the Bible says that his mind is full of thoughts about you. What is man that God is mindful of us? Oh, but sometimes he forgets about me, Brother Jones. Oh, sometimes he thinks about something else. Well, that's what I came to expose today a lie from the enemy that tried to get you to think that God wasn't thinking about you yesterday in that darkest moment, that God wasn't thinking about you while you were going through that storm and that trial. But I came today to expose that lie. The Bible says that God is mindful of you. His mind is full of thoughts about you. Here's some other things that the Word of God says about you. He said that I breathe the breath of life into your nostrils. I created you in my own image. My eyes saw your unformed substance. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know the number of hairs on your head. And before a word is even on your tongue, I already know it. He said you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And you are the apple of my eye. And Here's my favorite. In Isaiah 54.10, he said that, for the mountains may move and the hills will disappear, but even then, my faithful love for you will remain. When everything that he has created passes away, you know what's still going to be there? His love for you. I've come today to tell you just how big God's love is. And I've got three points, and this is not even an exhaustive list, but there are three points that I want to present to you about the magnitude of God's love. And I'm going to compare it to your love because Jesus said, you got to love each other the way that I love you. Well, let me just tell you that how God loves you. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, even as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, 
having predestined us to be his own adopted children by Christ Jesus, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in his beloved. Notice that it says he chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us before creation. He chose us before anything was ever created. And we just read in Isaiah 54.10 that even after all of creation is gone, his faithful love will still remain. And so point number one today is this. God's love for you is eternal. What that means is he didn't just start loving you when you got your act together. He didn't just start loving you when you recognized his existence. He didn't just start loving you when you decided to love him back. He loved you, the Bible says, before the world was formed. He loved you before you were ever created. And before anything was ever created, he was thinking about you. And his mind was full of thoughts about you. Before you even know who you are, God already knew who you were. And he loved you. God is thinking about you. Since before the world was formed, his love was for you. You say, Brother Jones, how do you know what God is thinking about? Well, he told us. In Isaiah 55, 6, first of all, he tells us we don't think like God thinks. He said in verse 6 of Isaiah 55, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. That's called repentance. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see, most of us, when we see somebody do something wicked, we all of a sudden cast judgment. Whenever we see somebody do something wrong, we start thinking about how bad that is. Oh, did you hear about what so-and-so did? But this is what God is thinking about. He's thinking about abundantly parting you. He's thinking about having mercy on you. Why? He says in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God doesn't think like you. God's thoughts are thinking about mercy. God's thoughts are thinking about how he's going to pardon you. God, all along, while you are dwelling in sin, is thinking about a way to bring you back to him. Why? Because he created you for a relationship with him because he loves you. That's what he said in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Who is him? The Word. And without him, who is him? The Word. Without him 
Was not anything made that was made. That word means in the Greek logos. And logos means a thought, a plan, or an idea. Which means in the beginning, God had a plan. He had an idea in his mind as he created everything. And that plan, that idea was not just with him. That plan was him. And what was that plan? Verse 14, and that word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. He said nothing was made without that idea in his mind. As he created everything, he was thinking about a way to bring you back to him. Let that settle in for just a minute. As he was making the stars, he said, oh, yeah, as I'm making this, this is going to be a part of my plan because one day I'm going to put a star over Bethlehem. As he was making all of the fields, as he was making the trees, as he was making everything that he made, he was thinking about a way to bring you back to him. Jesus Christ was not a backup plan. My friend, he was the plan from the beginning, from the found. That's why the Bible says he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It was something that was set in motion before God ever created anything. He said, I'm going to make somebody who's going to love me. And when he chooses something else, I'm going to make a way for them to come back. The angels don't have that redemption song. They just have to serve him forever. They get out of line. They go down to hell like lightning. But guess what? From the very beginning, God had a plan on his mind to say, you know what? I've got to give them another choice or it's not true love. But when they choose something other than me, I've got a plan to bring them back. And he was thinking about that before he created anything in this world. That's what God is thinking about. That's why the psalmist said, what is man? What is man? With everything that he has created, and I look at my life and all the things that I've done, who am I that God is mindful of me? There's no greater love than this. God's story began before the world was formed. And the Bible says that even when everything is gone, His faithful love will still remain. His love for you is eternal. My love is not eternal. I can start my love when I want, and I can turn it off when I want to. My love is not eternal. But Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another the way that I love you. Tell me. How am I supposed to do that? Because there's no greater love than this. How is it possible for me to love you and for you to love one another the way that my God loves me? Number two, God's love is limitless. The Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. And I've nailed down the fact that God loves you and he has always loved you. And he's going to continue to love you forever. And he's thinking about you every second of every day. The Bible says you're the apple of his eye. But there's more than that. And this is, I just want to tell you this so you can really grasp the love of God. Because you see, 
as obsessed as we can get with someone or something, it's very hard for the human mind to stay focused on even one thing for very long at a time. It's hard for us to pay attention. Our attention span even today is getting shorter and shorter. But not only does God love you and think about you as an individual, every single person here, his mind is full of thoughts about you as an individual. And the Bible says that his eye is on the sparrow. So I know that he watches me. And although we may struggle as humans to give our love to any one person or even just to our one God, but God is able to simultaneously love every single person here at the same time. Not any less than anybody else. And not only you here, but everyone in the world at the same time. Think about how limited your love is. How much you've tried to love one person. How much love you've tried to pour into your children or to your loved ones. And God is doing that for all of you in the world at the same time. Sometimes, and this is important because sometimes we think that God is not thinking about us right now. Oh, God's thinking about somebody else who's going through something else somewhere else in the world. But I came today to tell you that God's love is not limited like your love. Because God can love you at the same time as he's loving somebody over in Australia right now. God can love you the same way that he's loving somebody in a little prayer closet in Africa right now. And while they may be going through some deep, dark storm and they're praying for God's attention, he's giving you no less attention right now because God's love has no limits. God is able to love you with the same capacity that he's loving everybody else in the world right Right now. And the lie of the enemy will try to tell you that God has forgotten about you today. That God is not thinking about you today. Or that God is preoccupied with somebody else right now. But I came to expose that lie today. God's love is not like your love. God's love has no limits. And God is loving you every bit as much as he loved you from before the world was formed. And when this earth is gone, his faithful love for you will remain. And while he's loving somebody else on the other side of the world, he's thinking about you. His mind is full of thoughts about you. God has not forgotten you. David said that God has never left me nor forsaken me. And that stands true even if you leave him, even if you forsake him. God's love is not limited like your love. You say, well, I, you know, there's got to be some people that have never heard, had a chance to hear about God's love. What about those people? I beg to differ. I've heard too many stories about how God gave people dreams, telling them where to go to hear about his love. 
I have very little doubt that God gives every person a chance to experience his love. Instead of playing the game of what ifs, let's let's talk about what is. Right now, you're in this place today, and God knew that you would be here to hear about his love. And the Bible says that he has given every person a measure of faith. And it says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. And how can a person have a measure of faith without hearing the word of God sometimes? time in their life. God made a way for you to hear the truth. And you should be thankful that you know the truth today. You've heard about God's love. But His love has not been hidden from anyone. It's never been restricted from anyone. He wants to love you. And He wants more than anything for you to love Him back. (laughs) Nothing or no one was made Without that plan, that thought, that idea of redemption on God's mind at the point that he created them. His love is limitless. And there's no greater love than this. Finally, the third thing that I want to cover today. And this is perhaps the one that is so different from how we love. And that is the fact that God's love is unconditional. Did God stop loving Moses when he killed an Egyptian? Did God stop loving Peter when he denied Jesus not once but three times? Did God stop loving Paul when he hunted and killed Christians? Let's look back at our text for just a minute. In verse 12, he said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, And a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Verse 15, he says, Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. And listen to this in verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. He tells them flat out, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I commend you, that you love one another. You see, even when we don't choose Jesus, he chooses us. I said when we don't choose Jesus... He chooses us. Why? Because His love is unconditional. And there's no greater love than this. Let me break that down for you. When you chose sin, He chose you. When you chose to cry crucify, He chose you. When you chose the world, He chose you. When you chose something else, when you put your mind on something else, God's mind was still on you. When we persecute other believers when we're lost, just like Paul did, he still chose you. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for 
the ungodly. He died for the ones that didn't choose him. He chose to die for those who were ungodly. He didn't come to save the righteous. He didn't come to save the people who thought they were all high and mighty. He chose to die for the ungodly. And then Paul says, just to kind of point out the fact of how awesome this is, he says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. If you find somebody that's righteous, anybody here take a bullet for that person? Maybe. That's what he's saying. Maybe you would do it. And if you, if you find a good man, he says, some would even dare to die. Let's find a good, let's bring a good man in here. Somebody who's really good. Man, that's a good person in the community. Somebody willing to take a bullet for that good man? You'd think twice about it. But Jesus didn't think twice about it. We weren't righteous and we weren't good. He says, he says in verse 8, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were not righteous, while we were not good, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is no greater love than this, my friend. When a God who said, I know you're not going to choose me. I know you're not going to choose me at first. I know when I give you a choice between paradise and the tree of knowledge of good and evil that Adam, you're going to make the wrong choice. And before you start blaming Adam, every single person here has made that choice. Every single time that you choose sin, you choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You choose to be on godly you choose to be unrighteous but Jesus said that while we were yet sinners that's when he died for us he didn't say fix yourself up clean yourself up and then I'll die for you he said no while you're in the muck and the mire while you're in the pit of despair while you're in the, the pit with the pig pen I'm going to die for you there that's where I'm going to lay down my life for you and there is no greater love than this And I'm here to testify that this is so true because I am for one have tested this myself because I know that when I walked away from God and I ran from my calling that God never stopped chasing after me. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sometimes on the other side of the world, and I would know that I had a grandmother, somebody, somebody somewhere praying for me. And God would wake me up in the middle of the night and I would say, if I die right now, I'm going to die lost. And I would say, God, just get me through this situation and I'll come back to you. And you know what I did? I kept running. I didn't come back to him. I didn't keep my promise. I kept testing him. I kept testing him and I kept pushing the limits of his conditional love and I said, God, if I cross this line, will you leave me alone? And he said, no, I still called you. And so I drew another line and I said, if I do this, will you leave me alone? And God said, no, I still love you. And every line that I crossed to get further and further away from God, God was always one step behind me. Some of y'all got loved ones out in the world right now. You're saying, why are they acting that way? That's not them. They're acting like somebody totally different. I'll tell you why. Because God called me, and I told him, I said, if I can be somebody else, will you leave me alone? And I tried so hard to get that pull of God's calling off of me. And no matter how hard I tried, 
No matter how far you run, no matter what you do, God's love will remain. Why? Because he didn't die for you when you were perfect. He didn't die for you when you had it all put together. He didn't die for you when you finally said, okay, I love you too. No, he said, I died for you while you were yet sinners. And some of y'all can stand up here and testify that you felt the love of God. And you think about your past. Because while the Bible says that he, th- he cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness, as far as the east is from the west, and he forgets about them. But I can't. And I still remember where he brought me from. Oh, Lord knows I've tried to forget. Lord knows I've tried to forget the things that I've done. But I think he helps us remember those things so we know where he brought us from. So that we remember that even while we were sinners, he loved us. Even while we were running from him, that prodigal son, he's walking back with his head hanging low. He didn't even make it back to the house. The father ran to him. The father ran to him. You say, why would he do that? He said, in Isaiah 55, because my thoughts are not like your thoughts. My ways are not like your thoughts. When, when the wicked forsakes his ways and when the unrighteous forsakes his thoughts and he tries to turn around for me, that's what I want. I want them to return to me. That's what God wants. Why? Because he loves you. There's no greater love than this. In our text, Jesus said, That we need to love one another the same way he loves us. Right after that, he said there's no greater love than this. He just told you he had the greatest love. And then he says, I want you to love each other the way that I love you. It doesn't make sense. How is it possible? Because my love is not eternal. It has a start date. It comes with conditions. And it has limits. But God's love is eternal unconditional and limitless. How is it possible that I can love you the way that Jesus loves me? But this is the greatest thing that God ever did with his love. He allowed us to have it. He allowed us to have his love. Now, I don't mean in a sense that he gave us his love by showing us his love. He showed us his love on the cross. But more than that, he gave us his love. In a sense that the same powerful love that God has for you, he can put that love in you. That's the only way to follow the commandment that Jesus said. Love one another the way that I love you. If you try to use your love, you're going to fall short because your love is conditional. Your love has limits. Your love has a start date, and you can stop it when you want. Somebody doesn't treat you the way you want, I I don't love them anymore. That's not how God's love is. In 1 John chapter 4, and I'm closing with this, you can all stand. 1 John chapter 4, he says, He that loveth not, Knoweth not God, for God is love. Everybody say, God is love. That's what he is. 
He's comprised of love. He's made up of love. That's what God is. Verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. In modern English, that would say, this is how he showed us our love. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. That's how he showed his love to us, John said. Verse 10, herein is, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Isn't that what Jesus told him to do? If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. How do we do that? How do we do it, John? God's love is eternal. God's love is unconditional. God's love is without limit. He showed us his love on the cross. But in verse 12, he said, No man has seen, seen his God at any time. If we love one another, God, remember what God is. God is love. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. How do we know? Verse 13, hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. Jesus said, you got to love each other the way that I loved you. But my love is not like God's love. How can I follow that commandment, Jesus? Here's how we do it. John broke it down for us. He said, here's how you do it. You let his spirit be in you. When God died on the cross, he showed his love to us. But when he filled us with his spirit on the day of Pentecost, he gave his love to us because God is love. And when the spirit of God is inside of you, his love is inside of you. And if you let that light so shine before all men, that's how you show the world God's love. And in this Christmas season, when everybody is occupied with what they're going to get and their new iPads and all of these things and the commercialization of this season, let's remember one thing that Jesus came to this earth to do, to die on a cross so that he could give you his love. That same capacity to love everyone is in us. He said, there is no greater love than this. If you're here today and you heard about God's love for the first time, or maybe you've always known about God's love, but you today for the first time, you just realized how big God's love is. Or maybe you know how big God's love is, but, but in this recent season, you felt like God forgot about you. Maybe sometime this past week you thought that God wasn't thinking about you. Maybe you're going through some sort of, sort of storm or trial. And you're wondering, God, what are you thinking about right now? Because it must not be me. I'm here to remind you that God, his mind is full of thoughts about you. 
consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. David said, what is man? What is man that thou art mindful of him? I wonder if we could come and fill up these altars and just for a little bit, let's let the love of God fill us right now. If you've never been baptized with the Spirit of God, you can be baptized with that Holy Ghost and fire today, just like they did on the day of Pentecost. In that upper room, the Bible says, when they were all in one place and in one accord, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost fell on them. And cloven tongues like fire set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. If you've never felt the love of God, that's the way you feel it. He showed it to us on Calvary, but He gave it to us when He filled us with His Spirit. And if you're in this place today and you've had the Holy Ghost for 50 years or 5 years or even just 5 minutes, I would encourage you to don't leave this place today without being refilled with it. And just dwell on that thought. What is man? Let's think about that for just a minute. What is man? Who am I? That while I was still a sinner, when I didn't choose God, He chose me. No matter what I've done, no matter what I've gone through, God has been thinking about me. His mind is on me. Why don't you begin to lift your hands, begin to praise the Lord right now. Let His faithful love, which is going to remain even when this earth is gone, let His love begin to surround you. Let His love begin to fill you right now. Paul said it this way. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine? or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love is eternal. His love is without limits. His love is unconditional. And I can feel it in this place right now. Why don't we magnify the Lord? Give Him the praise. Give Him the praise that He deserves. God, for Your glory. He knows my name. Every step that I.